following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, please visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. Give that to the Lord. Come on. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Wow. What a joy to see all of you. You folks, how many came from Leander today? Leander. Leander. Anybody? Leanderites? Is that what it is? Leanderers? Anybody? All right. You, you lost your H-E-B out there. <laughs> Have to go to Randall's, I guess. Tornado hit. And I was so worried about many of our members coming from there because we do have people that drive that far to this church. And thank God, hadn't heard any casualties yet. We're happy for that. We thank God for that. Won't you clap your hands for the good Lord to that? That's good stuff. And today's a very special day. It's the birthday of the church. Everybody say birthday of the church. This is the day of Pentecost. It's 50 days after Passover. Jesus was crucified. That's Passover. And now Pentecost is here. And he told those people at Bethany, he said, I bless you, but I want you to go to Jerusalem and be endowed with power from on high. And they went to Jerusalem and were filled with the Spirit of God. And that's the birthday of the church. That's the birth of the church. That's the church he said in Capernaum upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Always tried a long time to destroy us, but we're still kicking. We're still running forward. And we're going to finish in style. Amen. We're going to do that. We're going to make it happen. Would you stand to your feet all over the building? We welcome all of our guests today. And I'm going, to, I'm going to kind of treach today. That's a mix between teach and preach. I'm going to treach a little bit today if I can because I want to explain some things. There's three things that I want to share with this congregation about this day that is very important to me because I, I think you get an understanding of what God is doing in our lives. Sometimes people are afraid because they don't have the understanding of and they don't understand some things, so they're automatically afraid. But we're, not, we're going to take the fear factor out today. And we're going to teach something to you that will help you and bless you today. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm going to help the pastor. Amen. We're speaking today on the day of Pentecost. We're talking about the day of Pentecost. And we're talking about the fire of the Holy Ghost. The fire of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Now, we're online today, and we're also streaming into our church in Tulsa. We welcome our Tulsaites today. Let's give the Tulsa drillers a great hand today. All right. All right. And everybody that's watching via Facebook or watching on our web, we're happy to have you be with us today in second service. How many enjoyed David Herrera singing a little bit this morning? <laughs> Lord. Lord, that, that guy needs to get off that piano right now. Give that to Ann and just get off that piano and just sing, brother, sing. Amen. Everybody say, I'm going to help the preacher. You can be seated. God bless your awesome people, and I love you. When his nation, I'm going to First uh, Kings chapter 18 today, and when his nation was steeped in idolatry, Elijah knew they needed nothing so much as they needed to see and to feel the fire of God. So three years after he had first appeared on the biblical scene in 1 Kings chapter 17, having promised Ahab the king that there would be drought and famine according to his word and that there would be neither dew nor rain until he said so. And he summoned the king 
and the people and 850 false prophets who had bewitched them for the last three and a half years to a meeting on the top of a mountain called Carmel to let the one true God answer them by fire. That's what it was about. And on one side, there's 850 false prophets, 450 prophets of Baal, a galaxy of gods, and 400 prophets of the groves who ate at Jezebel's table. And on the other side, all by himself, except maybe for a servant, Elijah, who for three years of drought and famine had himself experienced and enjoyed remarkable manifestations. He was divinely fed by the brook Cherith. He saw a widow's meal and oil multiply, and he saw a dead lad raised to life again. And before them there, before these 850 and Elijah, there were these people in the valley of decision, halting between two opinions like many people are today, secretly revering Jehovah, but pandering to the idols, sacrificing in the groves. And Elijah knew they needed nothing so much as they needed the fire of God. It's in both Testaments, folks, both old and new. Everybody say the fire of God. That's what we need. Moses and Paul, each of them towering over one of the, of the, of the, uh, uh, or the other testament of truth, both called God a consuming fire. Both ends of the tabernacle in the wilderness when Israel came out of Egypt and they lived in the wilderness for some 40 years. They built a tabernacle. It was Jehovah's first attempt at having a house among men. Both ends boasted fire. First on the brazen altar when you walked in and finally the altar of incense before you went into the Holy of Holies. And when the revelator John was exiled on Patmos, he heard a voice and he saw a vision. And then he turned to see from where it came and he saw one with eyes as a flame of fire whose feet burned as if they had been in a furnace. In fact, Revelation 4 compares the seven spirits of God to the seven lamps of fire burning before the throne. We are a fiery kingdom. God's word said he made his angels spirits and his ministers a flaming fire. I hope that I am a flame of fire for you. I hope I'm not a cold icebox. Isaiah speaks of something seldom seen in 33. He said, you are far away and hear what I have done. You, have, you who are near acknowledge my power. The sinners in Zion are terrified. Trembling grips the godless and who of you can dwell with the consuming fire? Who of you can dwell with the everlasting burning? See, the prophet sees a fiery presence so great that sinners are afraid. That hypocrites are astonished and they ask rhetorically, who can abide in these burnings? Then quickly and and clearly Isaiah qualifies who can dwell in this fire. He said those that walk righteously, those that speak what is right, and those that reject gain from extortion, and those that refrain from oppression, and those that have clean hands and neither hear nor see evil. That man, that woman shall... Verse 16 said, dwell on high. His place of defense shall be the munition of rocks. Bread shall be given him, and his water shall be sure. His eyes shall see the king in his beauty, and he shall behold the land that is afar off. Can I stop right now and say in no uncertain terms, I want, as a pastor, I must have that fire. I must have that fire. This church must have that fire. Our lives must have that fire. 
We must possess that in our marriages, in our homes, to characterize our corporate meetings, our prayer groups, our worship hours. That fire of God is necessary. Two words pop to my mind, and it fills my mind today, and it's simply this. Is God still your passion, or is He just a pastime? Is church still a passion, or is it just a pastime? Is your marriage, is your love relationship with your wife and your husband still a passion? Or is it just a pastime, two people living under the same roof? Is your job, is the things that you do for your family still a passion or a pastime? I believe the Almighty can send a fire on this earth to renew and restore the passion we need for Him and for His house and for all that we have in our life. See, threaded through the entire Bible is an easily defensible doctrine of the new birth being born again. In 1 Corinthians, it calls the gospel of which we are saved, the death and the burial and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody say, that's the gospel. And we all are obliged to identify through our repentance from dead works and our burial by baptism and our resurrection life in the Holy Ghost. And it was never God's intent for that new birth experience to become just another stale spiritual fact of our lives. Rather, He called it an endowment. Hallelujah. He called it an empowerment. And the forerunner, John Baptist, said, I baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Fire, fire. In Luke 12, Jesus said, I am come to send fire on the earth. Our English word send is really too tame for what he said that day. The Greek rendering is simply send equals to hurl. He said, I will come and hurl fire across the earth. And hurl it he did, insomuch that the first cries of the infant church followed what Luke described in Acts 2 as tongues of fire that set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. Little wonder that the wise man Solomon had written. Go ahead and say amen. It's all right. The Spirit of the Lord is a candle. The Spirit of man is a candle of the Lord. You know what? When your spirit's right, you're a candle. You're a burning glow for the kingdom of God. God is into fire, folks. He's into it. Clap your hands and rejoice to that right now. You and I need for that fire to be kindled or rekindled within us because God is in that fire. After 40 years in the house of Pharaoh, Moses came of age and went out among the Hebrew children and he ended up killing an Egyptian and had to flee for his life. So into the desert he went to Moab and for 40 years or more, he apparently tended the flocks of his father-in-law Jethro until suddenly, I love this suddenly, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire. Out of the midst of a bush and looked, he looked and behold, the bush burned with fire and was not consumed. And God called unto him out of the midst of the bush. See, I want to tell you, God was in fire then and he's still in the fire now. And when that same Moses attended the mount known as Sinai in the wilderness to receive the moral and civil and ceremonial law of God, as well as a pattern for the house of God. The Bible said it came to pass that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud and a voice of trumpet exceeding loud. And Sinai was altogether in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Again, God was in the fire. 
And after the exodus out of Egypt, Israel experienced God in a fire when the Lord went before them by day, by a pillar of cloud, and by night in a pillar of fire. Isn't it wonderful to know that in your darkest hour, you can look up and see the fire of God in your sky and know that God's watching over you. Somebody help me preach right now. Lord, that feels good. How could anyone miss this message? Isaiah said, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Then he, then he went ahead and said, I cried, woe is me. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. And so what happens? What does heaven do? An angel comes, bearing a live coal from off the altar, and touches Isaiah's lips, saying, Lo, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity has been taken away. Again, God was in the fire. Iniquity, crookedness, being bent in the wrong direction, but the fire took it away. Now watch this. But when Jesus was baptized by John, the Spirit descended in the form of a dove. Watch this now. But when the same Spirit descended upon the disciples in the upper room at Pentecost, it was as tongues of fire upon each of them. I love this. See, when Christ was baptized, there was nothing to be consumed. There was nothing to be purged. There was nothing to be clean. He was perfect. But when it fell at Pentecost, there was a need for the purifying fire of God. And I want to tell you something. We all need the purifying fire of God in our life. I'm going to leap a little bit for that because I feel the Holy Ghost in this house. So Elijah brings Israel together with their king and their idolatrous prophets at Carmel. And demands of them that the God that answers by fire, let him be God. And if you take out, you want to read something funny, read 1 Kings 18. It's a funny chapter. Because Elijah says, you know, your God may be asleep or something. He may be on vacation or something. (laughs) Because they got first go and then Elijah came after it was all broken down. Had to rebuild the altar. Said, if you you take out all the posturing, all the taunting, all the wailing, all the threats, all the challenges... It distills down to this, that you'll discover that Elijah knew precisely what it took to feel God's fire. He knew. And it's three little basic steps, and I'm going to preach about it today. It's so simple. It's so simple that sometimes people make it so complex. It's not complex. The first thing Elijah did was he built an altar. Everybody say an altar. We need an altar to be built in our lives. In Genesis 8, coming off the ark after the flood, Noah built an altar unto the Lord. In Genesis 12, Abraham built an altar after receiving God's challenge for a covenant. In Genesis 13, stand alone in the plains of Mamre after Lot had chosen the well-watered plains of the Jordan. Abraham built another altar to the Lord. In Genesis 22, atop Moriah with his beloved son Isaac, ready to offer him in sacrifice, Abraham built an altar. In Genesis 26, trapped in the valley of Gerar, struggling to find the father's wells so as to survive, Isaac pitched a tent and built an altar. In Genesis 33, having returned to Canaan to confront his brother Esau, and he purchased a parcel of ground in Shechem, 
And Jacob erected an altar there and called it El Elohe Israel. God, the God of Israel. Amen. In Genesis 35, having been shamed by his sons and shielded supernaturally by God, finally back at Bethel, Jacob built there an altar and called it El Bethel, which means the God of the house of God. Do you see where I'm headed? There's a lot of altars been built in the Bible. Come on, let's preach a little bit. In Exodus 17, with his hands held high above his head by Aaron and Hur, presiding over Joshua's victory over the Amalekites in the valley, Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nissi. The Lord is our banner. Amen. Joshua 8, having purged Israel's sin and having defeated the, the city of Ai, Joshua built an altar unto God on Mount Ebal. In Judges chapter 6, having encountered an angel under the oak at Ophrah, having witnessed his supernatural power, Gideon built an altar and called it Jehovah Shalom, the God who is our peace. And in 1 Samuel chapter 14, his unlikely route of the Philistines complete because Joshua and his armor bearer went up and took them on first. Saul built an altar, his first, because he realized that God was with his victory. In 2 Samuel chapter 24, when David numbered the people and he got in trouble, after 70,000 men had died in that plague, consequences of disobedience to God, David purchased the threshing floor of Aruna and built an altar there. So is it any wonder that when he needed to experience the fire of God in 1 Kings 18, Elijah built an altar in the name of the Lord. Let me tell you something. I don't care who you are, how long you've been in the church. You need to have a place that you call your altar. You need a place where you can bow down and say, Thus saith the Lord, I humble myself to you today. In the name of the Lord, I build an altar in your name at my house. Would somebody help me preach right now? You need an altar in your life. Patty and I the other day were out dedicating a brand new home. Some people in our church have been blessed. and Wow, they've been blessed. And they buried a Bible under their front porch. The Bible that they used on, on their marriage day said they'd never part from one another. Boy, I like this couple. And we went through their house and, you know, you know a pastor, I'm going to look. And so every door was open. There was no door shut. And my wife fussed at me. But the closet door was open, and it was a beautiful closet. It was very neat, and sometimes mine didn't. And I was taking a clue. That's what I told my wife. Anyhow, she believed it. And I looked in that closet from afar, not up close. The door was open. And I saw a little desk, and I saw a chair, and I saw a rug, and I saw a Bible. And I turned to the lady of the house, she said, oh, yeah, pastor, that's my altar. That's my war room. That's my war room. I don't care where you are in your walk with God. There needs to be a place where you can go. It may be among the old trees out in the woods. It may be someplace on your job, back in the office area, somewhere where nobody hears you. It may be someplace private and quiet. Or it may be while you're driving down the road, but keep your eyes open. Watch and pray. Okay, don't close your eyes and pray. Watch and pray. But wherever it is, you need an altar in your life. Come on. And it needs to be built to the name of the Lord in your life. You need an altar. That's how the fire falls when you build an altar. Clap your hands and rejoice to that right now. Everybody needs an altar. Wow. I didn't mean to lose my mind there. The second thing he did was he put a sacrifice on that altar. He made sacrifice. There must be a sacrifice. 
He comes to our altar to consume the sacrifice. Elijah had to put something on the altar for God to consume with fire. He really did. So he put the wood under it. He cut the bullock into pieces and he laid him. He laid that bullock on the wood and Elijah put his sacrifice on the altar. He put his sacrifice on the altar. And after Abraham had made a torturous trek up the face of Moriah with all the makings of an altar but no sacrifice, Isaac asked the question that needed to be asked, Dad, we have the wood and the fire, but where's the sacrifice? And the patriarch answered with a phrase that's still locked in time. He said, God himself will provide a sacrifice. And what followed was a testament of truth characterized by rivers of blood and mountains of sacrifice. A lamb was slain in Eden when Adam and Eve sinned because they need to be covered of their sin. Noah built an altar and sacrificed and was promised no more floods. Abraham offered rams on the plains of Mamre and entered into a covenant with God. In Egypt, Israel offered a lamb for all and the death angel passed over the night it passed through Egypt. And at the door of the tabernacle in the wilderness, morning and evening, sacrifice was made and sin's penalty was pushed ahead. And when David brought the ark back after 40 years of it not being in Israel, he brought it back on the shoulders of men. And every six paces, he stopped and sacrificed. And that's what made David be a dancer. You know, if you stopped about every six paces and said, Lord, I want to give you some sacrifice right now, you might dance a little bit every now and then too. You might get excited about what the kingdom of God is. And at Aruna's threshing floor, when David had sinned, an altar was made and the plague of death was stayed. Solomon was made king in a thousand rams and bullocks and sheep. And he was magnified in Israel's eyes because of his sacrifice. And the nation, when, when it was without a true God or a teaching priest in Asa's day, Asa offered 700 oxen and 7,000 sheep. And God said, I'll be with you. In, while you're with me and, you'll, and found of you as long as you seek me. And Hezekiah restored religion by sacrifice on an altar. But I love this, at the dedicatorial service of the temple that Solomon built, 120,000 sheep and 22,000 oxen and 290,000 gallons of blood were offered in sacrifice. And a cloud of glory so filled the house that no man could stand to minister and what these and scores of other narratives of God's forever settled word reveal in the pow- is the power and importance of what we call sacrifice. Could you say that? Yeah. And in this narcissistic age that we live in, sacrifice is a word that's fallen by the wayside. People don't want to hear that word anymore. Everybody's afraid to mention the fact that God may want something from us. And I hope heaven will help me bring it back vogue at Christian Life Church. That God still wants the sacrifice that we can give him at our altar that we have built for him. Because when you have an altar and a sacrifice, it brings the holy fire of God. Say, God, send the fire on my life. In those altars, there was sacrifice that we might understand together. That the idea of man meeting God though the, through the medium of sacrifice is neither novel nor new. That we might learn that the record of God receiving and responding to sacrifice is legendary, folks. It's legendary. God, God needs to know that man's most majestic encounter with him in Christ 
were all cast in the context of someone's sacrifice so that when he wanted to experience God's fire, Elijah built an altar and offered a sacrifice. I'm going to preach now just a little bit. You ready? In that first testament, the Old Testament, they offered a ram or a heifer. They offered a turtle dove or a pigeon. They offered a sheaf or a grain. They offered a morsel of meat. They offered a piece of fish or a loaf of bread. But to us, the Hebrew writer wrote, you ready for this? Let us offer up the sacrifice of praise. To God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. I wonder if anybody understands that when you say hallelujah, when you say thank you Jesus, when you say praise the Lord, when you say glory to God, when you give Him high praise in your mouth, I wonder if you realize that's a sacrifice to Him. Because he dwells, he inhabits the praise of his people. And that's why I want passion restored and not church being a pastime. I want the passion of the fire of God to be upon this house. So when sinners walk in here, they'll tremble and say, I want what God has for me. When backsliders come, they'll say, oh God, let me be restored to the passion of the fire again in my life. Clap your hands and rejoice to that. Clap your hands. Peter called us. Peter called us lively stones built up into a spiritual house and challenged us to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. And when Abraham met God over an altar in an open field there, he offered up a ram and a she-goat and a heifer and a turtle dove and a pigeon, all carefully slain and divided in sacrifice. And when the birds of prey came to molest that sacrifice, Abraham drove them away. I want, I want everybody to hear me in Austin, Texas today. Somehow, supernaturally, I want you to hear this. Until this church goes home, the fire of God will burn in this house. Until this church is raptured, the fire of God will burn in this house. I am so tired. I'm so tired of churches that want to put a quietus on everything God wants to do. God is into our praise. He's into our sacrifice of praise. He's into that. And we need to offer it to Him with everything that we have. In fact, here's what Hosea said. Take with you words. Turn to the Lord and say unto Him, Take away all of our iniquity and receive us graciously so we will render the calves of our lips he was saying they put calves on the altar I want your mouth to be a calf are you all right to let me catch your soul on fire through your mouth is it okay for you to start talking in a language that maybe you don't understand in prayer is all right for me to do something special in your life I'm telling you, the calves of our lips need to say hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Anybody want to clap your hands real big in the house right now? It's time to give him a sacrifice of praise. Hallelujah. (laughs) And one more thing that Elijah did that I got to close with is simply this. Not only did he build an altar. Not only did he put a sacrifice on that altar, but he prayed a prayer of faith. Yes. 
an altar, a sacrifice, a prayer of, pray, a prayer of faith. Can I just pastor a little bit right now? I just want to talk a little bit. Let me pastor. I'm going to put my glasses on like I'm professorial right now, okay? I'm going to look at you. No. I want to see you. Now listen to me. It's time for us to start, stop praying bailout prayers. I don't know if fire falls on bailout prayers. Fire falls on prayers of faith. Faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And it's time that we quit praying these bailout prayers. And, oh, God, I'm so by myself. And pity prayers. And down on luck prayers. When you walk to the front to get prayed for by these precious people that anoint you with oil and pray with you, you need to walk up here and pray the same kind of faith in you that they're praying over you. Because it'll change you from what you were to what God wants you to be. He wants a fire to fall upon you. He wants his glory to come down upon you. Hey, this is Pentecost Sunday. Why don't we let the power of God and the grace of God and the fire of God fall on us right here, right now in this house. Elijah prayed, Lord God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, let it be known this day that you're God. Hear me, Lord, that this people might know that you are the Lord God. And then the fire of God fell. Consumed the sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust. Licked up the water. Even licked up the water. Couldn't put a fire truck out there to put it out. It did then. It will now. Build an altar. Offer a sacrifice. Pray a prayer of faith. And God's fire will fall. Let me say something. God's no respecter of person. While I was getting this message this week. Wow. I didn't even tell first services. But while I was getting this message this week. I don't make sure I got enough time because I might get caught up in this. When I was 60 years old, I'm telling my age now, which was six months ago. No. <laughs> when I was 60 years old, God spoke to me in this, in this building and said, this will be your greatest decade of ministry. And I, we have seen un unexplainable growth in this church unexplainable growth exponential growth fantastic growth it's not addition now it's multiplication God's doing a great thing he's doing an awesome thing and even on a rainy day and a tornado day you showed up in the house today in second service and I applaud you today thank you for being here and Dr. Taylor Here's what's wonderful about it. While I was preparing for this message today for the day of Pentecost, while I was preparing, I realized that when I was 60, it was my 40th year of ministry. And that's when the bush caught on fire for Moses. And that's when Israel came into the promised land. I'm sorry. I'm just feeling a little something in my spirit right now. And maybe, just maybe, this is going to be the greatest time of our lives because I want this minister to be a flame of fire to this congregation. I want his angels to be ministering spirits, and I want to be a flame of fire. Come on, get ready. Get on. We're building a church. We're building a kingdom for God, not for ourselves. And when we do it, the fire will fall. Start praying prayer, faith, words. And watch God do a work in your life.
Watch him do a work in your life. We offer the sacrifice of praise. Randy, if you'll help me. They had a fire in London, England in the middle of the 17th century. And the fire so penetrated the earth, so warmed the soil, that unknown flowers began springing up everywhere from seeds buried deeply and long ago. They had been forgotten, stepped on, walked on by the heels of men and women. But the fire had awakened those seeds. Jesus said the seed is the word. And that seed has been faithfully planted by many churches in this city. And there are multitudes, multiplied thousands in this city and elsewhere. In which at some time the seed of this saving word has been sown. And it's there, but it's dormant. It's dormant. But God promised through the prophet that he would gather them all back. But the only thing that discovered the planted seeds in England was a fire. It brought them out of where they were to bloom. And not only that, but the seeds that came out of the soil in England, the seeds that came out of the soil in England produced one of the greatest purifying agents that England had ever known. The germs, the obstacles that the doctors had faced with all the plagues were gone. I know it sounds horrible to have a fire. I know that. Sometimes I used to hear about a burn over field. That's not the worst news you could ever hear. Because that burn over field might have some seeds underneath it. That might just be popping up. I'm saying if this church stays alive and is a fiery agent of the kingdom of God there's no telling who's going to walk in these doors who's going to come and be a part but we've got to build an altar everybody say build an altar everybody say we've got to make a sacrifice we've got to speak words of faith and when you do get ready for an outpouring of the spirit of God so my prayer today as I close is on the screen. Oh, Holy Ghost fire, fall. Fall. Fall on us. Fall on us. Now what, Pastor? Okay, here's what we're going to do. In the month of June, the Holy Ghost has prompted me to start a class, a pastoral class on the baptism of the Holy Spirit and all about it in Corinthians and Acts and everything that's about it we're going to start it it's going to be on Sunday night and you that are full of the Holy Ghost you're welcome or you can stay home but you that seek the Holy Ghost you're welcome because I want everybody in the book of Acts 19 Paul found certain disciples of John and ask if they had received the Holy Ghost since they believed. He said, we have not heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. How were you baptized? Under John's baptism. He said, John truly baptized under repentance. Then he baptized them again. And when they came out of the water, he laid hands on them. And they received the Holy Spirit. They were believers. They were disciples. But they needed the baptism of the Holy Ghost. There's no sense in walking through life without the fire of God in your life. There's no sense of walking through life without his help. He said, I must go away so that I can send the comforter to you. 
I got to go so I can say goodbye. I want you to stand to your feet. I want you to stand to your feet. And I want you to lift your hands. And we're going to pray together. And they're going to sing a little bit here in just a moment. They're going to sing a little in just a moment. But I want, I want you to raise your hands. And we're going to pray this kind of prayer. Lord, let me build an altar today. A real altar. A prayer altar. Where I can intercede with you. And Lord, let me put a sacrifice on that altar. You said my praise was a sacrifice. That's what you want. My praise. My praise. I want to praise you today. And Lord, let me speak words of faith from that altar uh, with my praise. Let me quit praying bell out prayers. Let me quit praying pity prayers. Let me quit praying feel sorry for me prayers. Let me pray faith prayers. Faith prayers. Come on, faith prayers. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. You might ought to just step back then, not now, but then, and say, look out. Fire's coming. Passion's going to be reborn. You're going to have something inside of you that you can't contain. Jeremiah called it a fire shut up in his bones. You can't contain it. It's the Holy Ghost. It's the Spirit of God who wants to dwell in you. And put your hands over your head one more time and clap like there's no tomorrow. Come on. Like there's no tomorrow. Like there's no tomorrow. Come on, clap like there's no tomorrow.